Hey everyone and welcome to this new episode of the Linux and Open Source News Podcast. And this week we have big distro related news with the release of Ubuntu 23.04 and all of its official variants, the release of Fedora 38, which I promptly upgraded to, and also news of Solus and a bold new plan to revive the distro. And we also have the release of KDE Gear 23.04, which includes a lot of new applications, uh, formerly Plasma Mobile, responsive, adaptive apps, and also some really good updates to the core KDE apps. So as always, all the links I use to make this show are in the show notes. And as always, this show is still user-funded, so if you like it without ads or sponsors, please consider checking out the various links in the show notes to support it. So let's get into it. So first, let's get the distro releases out of the way. So both Ubuntu 23.04 and Fedora 38 were released this week. Uh, Fedora on Tuesday and Ubuntu on Thursday. And they are both based on GNOME 44 and the various improvements it brings. So we already covered them a lot, but here's a quick recap. There's various legibility improvements to the quick settings with a title and a subtitle to better understand which button does what. You have the ability to quickly connect to previously paired Bluetooth devices. You've got thumbnails in the file picker. You've got a real tree view in the file manager when you're in list view. You've got the ability to disable mouse acceleration and the overlay scroll bars. You've got better mouse and touchpad settings with little animated videos to help you understand what natural scrolling is or if you want to pick two finger scrolling or edge scrolling. You've got revamped accessibility panels in the preferences. You've got support for WireGuard VPNs. You've got a redesigned login screen with bigger elements. You've got better performance, uh, support for Wayland fractional scaling protocol, and a lot more. So it's a great new version, not revolutionary. I already covered it on my YouTube channel. There's a video there if you're interested. So both distros are pretty different in the way they handle GNOME. Uh, Fedora is as vanilla as possible. I don't think they add any extension apart maybe a, a logo in the bottom right corner and, uh, and maybe um, game mode support. But Ubuntu does a little bit more. They kept all their alterations. So they have the notification tray by default. They have their own dock. Uh, they have their Yaru theme. And they also have their brand new installer, which they added to the distro. It's been in development for a while now and it's now finally ready. So it's built using Flutter, which is a framework to build uh, applications that are cross-platform. It's actually a Google project. And I was worried when they announced it that it would just look completely out of place uh, compared to the regular applications that Ubuntu has, but it doesn't. It looks really good. It looks a bit more modern. The screens are the same. The preferences are the same. You can You have the exact same options for installation, except uh, ZFS support, ZFS support, whatever you want to say it, however you want to say it. So it's, yeah, this thing is gone. You cannot do a new install using ZFS. You can still download an older ISO, which has the old installer and will install 23.04 uh, and will support ZFS. But yeah, for now in the new installer, it's not supported. I don't think they plan to bring it back. If you have an existing ZFS install, it won't be affected. You can still upgrade. 
Now, they also added uh, icon, well, badges on dock icons uh, when an application has notifications. So if an app ha is open and has received a notification you haven't cleared, you'll see a little green badge with a number on it, much like on a, on a mobile operating system, to let you know that there's something happening with this application. And once you remove the notification from the date and time panel in GNOME, the badge will disappear as well. It's a neat addition, not very necessary, but I guess why not? And applications have nothing to do to take advantage of it, as long as they use the native Linux notification system, they don't have a problem, and it will be supported. Now, all official Ubuntu flavors have also been updated. Uh, the biggest changes are probably for Kubuntu, which jumps two full KDE versions from 5.25 to 5.27. So it will have way better Wayland support, it will have a lot of new features that are pretty interesting and a lot of bug fixes and polish as well. And since you're gonna have to wait for a long while before Plasma 6 arrives, uh, if you're a Kubuntu user, you should absolutely make the jump. 5.27 is undeniably better than 5.25. You also have Xubuntu, which got the latest version of XFCE and Ubuntu Budgie moving to Budgie 10.7, which is also a pretty big release uh, absolutely mandatory if you're an, an Ubuntu Budgie user. Ubuntu Cinnamon and Ubuntu Unity are also now official flavors. They have their 23.4 version as well. And yeah, they bring nothing really new compared to the previous releases. Uh, Ubuntu Cinnamon, I'm not sure I'm such a big fan of because I, I much prefer the implementation of Cinnamon in Mint since it has access to all the Mint apps where Ubuntu Cinnamon just has the Cinnamon desktop shell, but none of the Mint apps, which are kind of the added value for Cinnamon. So not sure if that is really interesting, at least to me. Uh, Ubuntu Unity still looks cool, and the recent updates to Unity 7 made it a lot more usable as a daily driver. I wouldn't move back to it personally, but I like that this is still alive. So I obviously have made a dedicated video on my YouTube channel about Ubuntu 23.04. There's a link to it in the show notes, so you can check it out if you want. Now, regarding Fedora 38, I personally uh, made the upgrade on my laptop to try things out before eventually moving my desktop to it. The only issues I encountered were two extensions that were disabled. It was the light and dark theme switcher and the quick settings uh, uh, tweaker extension as well. Those are not absolutely mandatory, and some people told me that you could just like change the version number in the manifest of these extensions and make them work. I would expect them to be updated really soon. It's not a big issue. Uh, the big issue, though, is that DaVinci Resolve no longer works on Fedora 38 because it's packaged in a .run installer file, and it's a weird app that brings some of its own libraries and uses some others from the system. So it uses uh, glib-related uh, libraries that it brings, but not one of these glib libraries, which is libpengo, which means there was an incompatibility and DaVinci Resolve wouldn't start. I sort of fixed it by moving all the glib-related libraries from the DaVinci Resolve libraries folder to somewhere else. So now it uses the system libraries, but it's probably hacky, it will probably create instabilities. And so until this is officially resolved, I don't think I'll be moving my desktop to Fedora 38. I just can't take the risk to have DaVinci Resolve not working and not being able to produce videos. So these are still pretty solid release, pretty good, and I have no doubt that the teething issues will be solved quickly. So yeah, if you're a Fedora user, if you're an Ubuntu user, if your strategy is to wait a little bit before grading, do that. But if you really want the newer stuff, 
those are solid and they are good choices. Now, I reported last week on the potential death of Solus and it looks like I missed a post on Reddit from the Solus team the day before I published the podcast, which was also the day I recorded the podcast. So yeah, I missed it. It was on Reddit. I don't go on Reddit. I don't like this platform. So yeah, it's uh, I missed it. But they explained a bunch of stuff in that Reddit post. And since then, they posted a full-on blog post on the Solus website. Finally, something official. And it looks like Solus has some life left in it. Uh, they have a big plan to try and bring the distro back from the brink of death. And so Joshua Strobel, which is someone who had actually left uh, the Solus project, seems to be taking things uh, in control again. And so the gist of it is that they now moved their infrastructure that they could not access anymore to the same infrastructure used by Serpent OS, which incidentally is the distribution being built by the initial creator of Solus, Aikido Hurti. So things are now back online as much as they can be and operations will be able to resume. So they will be able to issue new ISOs. They will be able to update the packages in the repos, which hadn't been. Uh, they should have the bug tracker backup, the blog backup. Everything will resume as normal. And on top of that, they announced uh, plans to reorganize how the distro is run and how it communicates because these have been big issues that led to the distro's almost death. Uh, they, they just had one person in charge of the infrastructure. They had no communication channels. Only one person could communicate. It was just too closed down. So they're going to reorganize all of this and also how they will update the distro in the future. So they will ship some updates to Solus 4, uh, notably a new OS installer, an improved software center, better Steam integration, and a few other things here and there. But the real plan is to move to Solus 5. And this will be a big, big change. It will be rebased on Serpent OS, uh, which is a from scratch distro, which is currently in development and has no stable release. So Solus 5 is not going to release anytime soon, I guess. And the goal is to have a high performance base and to avoid duplicating efforts. Serpent OS, from what I understand, is a distro that kind of wants to, to shed all the old legacy things that might slow Linux down. It will not aim for full compatibility for everyone, but it aims to innovate, to bring the latest stack, the latest technology to everyone as fast as possible and not be bothered by all the old stuff that we still have to maintain. So it's not going to be a distro that everyone can use that will run on every single piece of hardware and it might not be as stable as other distributions. But it's an interesting one because it, it aims to push everything forward, not just as a rolling release would, but really as a, we just want to advance Linux and not stay stuck with the old stuff we've been using for 20 years. But it does mean there are a lot of changes coming to Solus. Uh, EOPKG, their package manager, will be replaced by Moss, which is the package manager for Serpent OS. And the build system, the development hub, and the binary package manager will also be replaced by the Serpent OS tools. So this should leave uh, the Solus team a lot more time to focus on package updates, on testing, on stability. And for Serpent OS, it brings them a more large-scale base to test their tools, assuming the Solus community moves to Solus 5 and, and decides to use it and test it. Now, it also means that Solus will become an atomic an immutable operating system, uh, much like Silverblue is, uh, Fedora Silverblue. And it will have the ability to have a Solus user repository, much like what the AUR is doing, which is really cool. So this is all pretty exciting news. Uh, it might be a 
a very interesting entry to test out because it's not going to be burdened with trying to support everything and work with everything. It's just going to push Linux forward and see what is possible to do without all the legacy support. So I like this. Uh, I want to see where it's going. And yeah, the focus will be very, very different. So I would be surprised if everyone in the Solus community agreed with the plan. Uh, I didn't really look at the comments and how the community reacted. So if you are or were a Solus user, let me know what you think about that. But for now, it's just a plan. So we'll have to see how this pans out in the future and if Solus can really be safe. For now, those are just words and intentions. Uh, we'll have to wait for something really concrete to happen. Now, if you're a KDE user, you've been served by KDE Plasma 5.27 a few months ago, but you also are now getting updates to the applications that KDE Plasma ships. Uh, because if you don't really know how that works, uh, they don't really ship KDE Plasma as a desktop environment. It's more of a desktop shell with a set of tools and all the applications, the official uh, KDE applications, are shipped in the KDE Gear compilation, which sees updates independently of the desktop itself. So we've got Plasma updates and KDE gear updates. And so the KDE gear compilation just got its 23.04 update, which means it's now joined by a bunch of new applications. Well, new, new to the desktop and maybe not as popular. Uh, those were apps that were developed initially for Plasma mobile, but they're adaptive apps, which means they look really good on desktop and they also work really well on mobile. So there's Tokodon, which is a Mastodon client. It lets you view previous messages when you're applying to them. It has a dedicated search page to let you find specific posts. And it lets you configure a proxy before logging into your Mastodon account. You can also view follow requests and generally just use Mastodon. There's also AudioTube, which is a YouTube music client that lets you basically just do everything you would expect to be able to do on YouTube music. You can search for songs, create playlists, play those playlists, share links, and it also looks actually really good in terms of interface, uh, better than uh, I think it's YT Music that I use uh, on, uh, on GNOME, which is basically just an Electron wrapper around the YouTube Music website. There's also NeoChat, which is a matrix client with a compact layout, with video playback controls, with the ability to edit messages in line, very good keyboard navigation. They're, they're great applications. And so now they are part of the KDE Gear compilation, which means they're going to be released alongside other apps. It might bring them a little bit more attention. So it's interesting. But of course, there are also apps uh, that have been updated that you already use on KDE, like the core KDE apps. The screenshot tool, for example, Spectacle, uh, is seeing a new version. It's completely redesigned. It has different tabs for screenshots and screen recordings. And those screen recordings now work on Wayland as well, which is nice. It also has some cool annotation tools, and these have been added to the rectangle selection mode for a screenshot as well. So you can, while you take your screenshot, you can annotate it immediately without having to open it in another program afterwards. Dolphin, the file manager, also now lets you configure how you want to show and display the permissions in the properties view of a file or folder. So you can display them numerically like 777 or 755 or with text like RWX or with both systems. And it will also let you browse Apple devices that you plug into your computer and they've also improved performance when calculating directory sizes. The image viewer Gwenview now lets you use touchpad gestures so you can zoom in and out smoothly on Wayland by pitching your touchpad. And it can also prevent sleep and screen lock when you're playing a slideshow in the foreground. 
The music player Elisa now lets you collapse its giant header at the top. Uh, that was something that always annoyed me in this app. Like you have this giant colored header uh, displaying the name of the song, the album, the, 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 the artist. But it's just way too big. It looks really good, but it's way too big. So now you can collapse it. And it also now supports creating and opening .pls playlist files. The PDF viewer Ocular has a tweaked toolbar layout. So they're going to separate the view modes on the left of the toolbar and all the tools on the right so it's more coherent. And you can also now move this sidebar around or you can even undock it if you want so it's floating. And Kaden Live also got an update with support for nested timelines which are a very interesting feature. Basically you can create mini timelines that you work on and you can embed these timelines inside of the main big timeline. So you can work on smaller parts of your project and embed them in a full timeline. And if you go back to edit one of these smaller timelines, all the changes are automatically applied to the big timeline. So it's a good way to split up big projects to not just have to scroll around for hours and hours to try to find what, what you're looking at. It's, it's a really cool update. And there's also Calendar, uh, which is basically the future of KDE personal information management. So it's got a calendar uh, tool, it's got a contacts tool and a task managing tool. And it has now a much improved address book, uh, which looks better, has more information available. It's a really fantastic app that if you use KDE and you're looking for a good calendar, to-do list, a contacts manager, do use calendar, it's really awesome. And then there's Plasma Tube, which is a YouTube player, and it now accesses videos from Invidious. So there are no ads and no trackers. And of course, as a YouTuber, I can't say I find this that fair. Uh, sure, it's a choice of the user to decide to use PlasmaTube and Invidious, but it also means that everything you watch will not support the creator. Uh, I don't think it will count in terms of views for the video. I don't think it counts in terms of engagement. And you're also not making any money for the creator who created the video. So yeah, it's a personal choice. Not a big fan of stuff that automatically blocks ads uh, without asking the user first. I guess the user is asked if they want to install PlasmaTube, so that counts. And there's also Casts, which is the podcast client, which can be minimized to the system tray now. You can now change playback speed for each show, and you can search through your list of podcasts that you subscribe to, which hopefully include this one. Uh, Casts, if you're on KD, is a great application to listen to podcasts. I know most of you listen to, uh, to the podcast on their phones, mostly Android. Uh, yes, I have these kind of statistics, but don't worry, they are completely anonymous. Uh, it's through Castopod, very privacy-focused. You don't have anything to worry about this, and those stats are not published to anyone, so don't worry. But if you want to use a desktop client, Casts is actually really, really good. So that's about it for the KDE gear compilation. A lot of cool updates, uh, a lot of cool stuff there. And if you want to try those uh, KDE Plasma mobile apps... I know some of you might have reservations because you might think they're too simple, they're mobile apps, but they actually adapt really well to the desktop. And yes, they're simple, but they do have a lot of features. They're probably what I would call the new generation of KDE applications. They're ditching the every single option is visible at once approach and going more the dolphin route, which on the surface looks very basic and simple, but has a lot of power under the hood. And I really like that approach. I think it's the best of both worlds. 
And now we're gonna talk about Reddit. It's a very popular platform. I personally don't use it because I don't have a use for it. And every time I end up on it and I try because I'm trying to look for something uh, on the internet, the answers I get there are absolutely useless. So I always try to avoid this website. But a lot of people told me that they only go to Reddit to find solutions. So apparently it's very popular. A lot of people like it. And it's popular enough that it's been used to train a lot of AI tools which probably learn from it how to be sassy, to harass people, and generally tell people that what they're trying to do is stupid and they shouldn't even attempt to do it. But still, this use seems to have been the catalyst for a change in Reddit's API. And this API will now be behind a paywall, at least for actors that need higher usage limits and more rights to the content posted on Reddit. So the API will apparently still stay open for what Reddit calls reasonable and appropriate use cases, which is very vague, but I'm sure will include third-party Reddit clients, apps, and bots. So this API has been free since it started in 2008, and those changes will take effect in two months. And Reddit states it won't impact moderation bots or Reddit extensions, and that they're trying to build more moderator tools to help the community manage itself on top of the API. Now, this obviously reminds me of the recent similar move Twitter made, except that it seems that Reddit will keep its access free of charge for the regular use cases. They also warned people way in advance, and they also didn't completely shut down their API all of a sudden, so they basically did it the right way. And of course, the unauthorized use of Reddit's content might not have been the sole factor uh, for this change, because Reddit is also preparing to go public, uh, to have an IPO. And additional revenue sources, even if they will arrive in the future, might boost the valuation as well. So that's probably another reason why they made that. Maybe the main reason, actually. Now, of course, personally, the fact that user-contributed content is property of a company, something I've always had a problem with. I know that's how most platforms work, but not a big fan of this. And I'm sure that they will need to be more precise regarding what reasonable and appropriate uses cases are. But I think they executed that move as well as could be done. Uh, they're gonna let people who want to make third-party clients and extensions and improve their experience of the site do it. But actors that want to take advantage of the website without paying anything will have to pay, which seems kind of fair. Now, still on the topic of AI, I recently came upon a small tool that I wanted to share with you. It's called Shell Genie. And I think it's one of the best users of AI tools that I've seen in a long while. Because it basically lets you type text in English. And this tool will try and generate a Linux terminal command to do what you actually want to do. Uh, it's based on ChatGPT3, and so you'll need an API key to actually use it. But it's really fun. Uh, you can install it using pipx, so it's a Python program, and then you can invoke it from the terminal by typing shell-genie-ask, and then you type your prompt between quotes. And so you can ask it stuff like display all the folders in the current directory or list files smaller than a megabyte, and it will then offer a command that it thinks can do the trick and ask you if you want to run it. And once you run it, it will even ask you if the command worked or not so you can learn from it and see if what it suggests is actually useful. And there's also a, an argument you can append at the end of the command, which is dash dash explain, and the program, Shell Genie, will tell you how it builds the command and what each part does, which is really interesting. 
So it looks like a pretty cool way to get started using the command line. And with that ability to explain commands, it could be a great learning tool. And this is the kind of use case AI is made for, in my opinion. It's not to try and replace web search or, or stuff like that. It's to actually bring tools to people so that they can get into something faster and easier to replace the tedium of the first week of learning where you're not able to do anything and just be an assistant when you don't exactly know how to do it. it it's, I think, a really good use case. And so I just wanted to share that with you. Now, we also have some announcements from System76, uh, which is, if you don't know, a company that makes uh, laptops and desktops that run Linux, specifically Pop! OS, out of the box. Uh, they're based in North America. So basically, if you're looking for a Linux device in North America, they're probably your only option. Uh, in Europe, Tuxedo or Slimbook will probably be cheaper. So they announced uh, three new laptops, which is the Serval WS, the Adder WS, and the Bonobo WS. And I think WS here stands for workstation because all of these laptops are basically desktop replacements. Uh, the Adder WS comes with either a 15 or 17 inch 1080p display running at 1440 Hz. It's got a 24 core Intel i9 CPU. It has the latest Nvidia 40 series GPUs up to a 4070 and up to eight terabytes of storage and 64 gigs of DDR5 RAM. So yeah, it's a desktop replacement. And the Serval goes above that. It uses the same general specs, but in a higher quality chassis. And it can be specced up to a 4K display. It has faster connectivity with 2.5 gig Ethernet and Thunderbolt 4. And the Bonobo WS is basically their most powerful laptop. It goes up to an RTX 4080 or 4090. It has a 17-inch 4K display running at 144 Hz. And it's got up to 12 terabytes of storage. But this one is not available just yet. And judging from the product photos, it uses the same chassis uh, as the Serval. So as with all System76 laptops, they come with an open firmware that even lets you customize the LEDs, the RGB on your device. It comes with PopOS pre-installed and you're free to open, upgrade and repair them yourself if you want. So the adder will start at 1600 US dollars, the serval at 1800 US dollars, and the bonobo's price hasn't been revealed yet, but I would estimate it at around $2000. So these are interesting devices, they look pretty good, uh, they look very very powerful, and yeah, if you need a desktop replacement, a full-on workstation, a mobile stuff that you can carry around but also has a whole lot of horsepower, these look like pretty good options. But of course they're super pricey because that's well, they have just giant components inside of them. And so if you want something on the cheaper side, they're not going to be for you. Now, if you like the concept of Flatpak, but you don't like the fact that applications using it might not follow your custom theme, at least on the GDK side of things, uh, there's an interesting little how-to that was published this week. And it's actually way easier than even I thought it would be. So it looks like Flatpak actually has a mechanism to automatically use the right theme. It can actually read the name of the theme you use from either G settings or X settings if you use X11. But the issue is there's no real way in the system to actually set that theme as the theme you use to, to create those preferences that can be read uh, by Flatpak. And once Flatpak has read the name of your theme, it can automatically match it to a list of Flatpak packages that contain themes and automatically install it the next time you run Flatpak update, 
which is very, very interesting. So to set these properties, unfortunately, there are no tools by default on GNOME, but GNOME Tweaks lets you do it. Uh, now, this whole thing is for GDK3 apps. For GDK4 apps, there's another method. But for GDK3 apps, you can use GNOME Tweaks. Uh, it has that little legacy theme uh, drop-down menu where you can select your theme. And when you select it through here, it will set it uh, as a G setting or an X setting, but you will have to have an X settings daemon running, which not all distros have uh, apparently. And so once that's done, you run Flatpak update and Flatpak will automatically try and download the theme that is basically the same as the one you have installed, but for Flatpak apps. And actually, if you do a Flatpak search uh, on Flathub, for example, uh, using the command line, if you look for GTK3, uh, as a specific prompt for your search, you will see an enormous list of themes with all their color variants that you can install. And so this is the way to apply them. Basically, if, they're, if you install them and they're set uh, in GNOME Tweaks, they're going to be applied to GTK3 applications, which is really cool. And there's also another way. If your theme isn't on Flathub and you can't install it through a Flatpak, there's a small little script that you can run and that will copy your theme into a Flatpak extension that will only be for you, only on your system, and that can be accessed by your Flatpak applications. Now, this solution is obviously much better than just giving access to every Flatpak app to the folder where your theme is. Uh, you can do that using Flathub, but it basically pokes a hole in your sandbox, because if anything goes to install itself in here, then Flatpak apps will also be able to access it. This might create problems in the long run. So as I said, this is only for GTK3 applications. The link to the little how-to uh, is in the show notes. And I also left a link to a little how-to on how to do it for GTK4 and LibAdvita applications, because these don't have an easy theming mechanism. Uh, the one on GTK3 was already a hack, but on LibAdvita it's even more complex. So it requires a little bit more elbow grease, but you can find the instructions. It's on a GitHub page for the Tokyo Night theme, but the instructions that they give here can be adapted to any other theme you want to do, and they will allow you to basically theme any app you want, any GTK4, LibAdvita, or GTK3 theme uh, app uh, using Flatpak or not. So that's actually really cool. And it should solve one of the major problems people always point out, which is those apps don't look like my normal apps when I install through a regular package. They look normal. Well, now the Flatpak apps can look normal and you can also take advantage of, uh, well, all their advantages like more timely updates, more security and the like. Okay, now we're going to have a small segment where we're going to dump a little bit on Windows and Microsoft because although this is a Linux and open source podcast, Windows is still the most used operating system for desktops at least in the world and when they make stupid changes or, or bad changes for the user, they might seem stupid for the user but they might be actually very clever for Microsoft, uh, when they make those changes it affects a lot of people. So first is a fantastic bug in the last Windows 11 update, in the latest update, which seems to make the taskbar disappear. If you have auto-hide turned on, looks like this thing doesn't pop up when you push your mouse against the bottom of the screen, or sometimes it just stays up instead of going back, or it gets stuck halfway, and it's apparently especially prominent on multi-monitor setups. So yeah, that's a great job, great testing here. 
And next is a report that Windows 11 will add more ads in the start menu. You already had ads uh, for potentially pre-installed programs like Candy Crush and stuff like that, which you could remove, but you have to remove them every time you do a fresh install. But now they will also add more ads, uh, which they call badging internally, which is a nice term, uh, but they are still ads. And they've appeared in the latest dev previews of Windows 11, and those ads will be for the Microsoft account to try and get you to actually log in using your Microsoft account because look at all these advantages you could get like online storage, backup and syncing preferences everywhere. And sure, those are good advantages, but it also means you're giving up a lot of data uh, to Microsoft where it's going to be used to target you with more ads. But this time not for Microsoft products, but for third-party products. So you could already hardly avoid using a Microsoft account in the Windows 11 installer. I think last time I checked, you could if you had no internet connection, but I'm not even sure that this is now possible again. Uh, I guess they would have to have a mechanism for people to actually create an account if they don't have internet. But yeah, they already made it pretty difficult to avoid that account. And for people who managed to avoid it or just maybe logged out afterwards, well, now you're going to be bugged all the time to log in with your Microsoft account, which sucks. And also, finally, there's an update to Windows Defender, which also seems to create problems. It's warning users that kernel mode hardware-enforced stack protection is off and that their devices might be vulnerable. And normally, this is just a quick trip to the security center to turn it back on. But it looks like for a lot of people, this doesn't work. Uh, you click on enable and it doesn't turn on and it actually crashes and has problems. And even more fun, it looks like it's because of various anti-cheat software that games implement, notably the one called GameGuard, because removing games that use it seem to fix the issue. So yeah, even Windows Defender seems to think uh, that anti-cheat software is a big problem. So yeah, update breaking systems, uh, anti-cheat still being terribly implemented, and other updates that make your system less your own and more a vessel to sell you some stuff or to get to get you to give up more data. So it's a wonderful world where the most used operating system on the desktop is just so bad and just treats their users like cash cows. It's, it's really annoying to see, but it's also fun because when you haven't touched Windows in a long while and you have no plans to go back to it, you feel pretty good about yourself. Okay, now we're gonna finish this with the gaming news. And so Valve has just released Proton 8 this week, obviously based on Wine 8. Uh, so it's the new version of the compatibility layer that lets you run all your Windows, well, most of your Windows games on Linux through Steam, but it's also used by other programs. I think Heroic Games Launcher can make use of it. Uh, Lutris will soon be able to make use of it. It's just a great tool. So they added a lot of new officially supported titles, including the Dead Space remake, which is nice. It's finally marked as compatible. Uh, Nio 2, Forspoken, Warriors Orochi 3, and a lot more. And they also fixed a ton of issues with various launchers and for a bunch of games like Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, The Witcher 3, Life is Strange Remastered, or Immortals Phoenix Rising. They also managed to improve multi-touch support uh, for games running through Proton, and they also updated all the underlying libraries to their latest versions, uh, like DXVK, VKD3D, the thing that actually make those games playable and translate DirectX instructions into Vulkan instructions. So you're getting the, the best available right now uh, to run Linux games. 
And they also immediately afterwards published a small minor update and a hotfix to fix a few compatibility problems and to make Minecraft Legends playable on Linux and on the Steam Deck. So you will obviously automatically get this update through Steam or through your Steam Deck and you can set it as the default either in Steam's properties uh, in the compatibility tab, I think, or compatibility layer, uh, you, you or Steam Play. I, I don't remember what it's called, but you can set the, the default version of Proton used there or you can just right click any game, go to the properties and set it to use Proton 8. But hey, if your game runs well right now and you have no issues, there's no reason to change the Proton version. But for all new games, you should probably try the latest one. And we also have a new beta for Lutris. Uh, it's, if you don't know about it, it's a nice client that gathers all your games on Linux in the same place. You can integrate it with Steam, with the uh, Windows version of Origin, of the Epic Game Store, of GOG, of uh, Uplay, of Battle.net. Everything can be uh, just put in, in a single place so you can launch all your games uh, in just one click, which is really cool. And so this new beta adds support for Proton. Uh, Previously, when you install something on Lutris, it tended to use a Wine version that they modified, which was called Wine Lutris, or the default Wine version, or some repackaged of Wine. But Wine is just not as good uh, to run games as Proton is, because Proton is specifically designed for that, where Wine is more of a general layer for compatibility with Windows. So supporting Proton will absolutely make it a better experience. And there's also a new integration now for itch.io. They improve performance all around and they now let you uh, set a specific preset when you're installing a game. You can, for example, when you run a setup.exe, for example, you can set it as a, for example, a Windows 98 compatibility or simulating a 3D FX card for all the titles. Uh, a lot of stuff that will make all the games run better. And there are also plenty of smaller UI and UX improvements to the application all, all across the app and the UI. And Lutris can also now install and run other Flatpak applications when needed, which means that you can have a way better experience with Lutris on the Steam Deck, which basically can only install stuff through Flatpak. So it should make it a lot more usable. So you can already download that beta. It's available as a Debian package or a bin file uh, if you want to test things out. And if you prefer to wait until it's all stable, it will be updated on Flathub as soon as the release is out. Okay, so this concludes this podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, if you have any remarks, questions, or if you want to discuss anything, you can head over to the podcast website, podcast.thelinuxexp.com, and you can leave a comment there under the episode so we can talk. And as always, all the links uh, for the articles used to make this show are in the description. All the links to support the show or find me on YouTube, Mastodon, PeerTube, whatever else, are also in the show notes. So thank you all for listening and I guess you'll hear me in the next one. Bye.